listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. So May 28th, 1835, Anna, Annie Sherwood Hawks was born in Hoosick, New York. Since Annie was a teenager, she would write poems, sometimes even being published in the local paper. It was in 1872 that she wrote one of her most well-known and deeply moving pieces of work, and she would later say this. One day, as a young wife and a mother of 37 years of age, I was, I was busy with my regular household task during a bright June morning. Suddenly, I became so filled with a sense of nearness to the Master that, wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words were ushered into my mind. And the thought at once, taking full possession of me, I need thee every hour. So seating myself at the open windows, I caught up my pencil and committed the words to paper, almost as they are today. Uh, her pastor, Dr. Robert Lowry, would later write music to the hymn that we know so well. It says, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. So here's the truth. Most of us have grown up in or around church. And most of us have heard that we need Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty standard motto for the church, and I would say rightly so. But the reality is, is that sometimes you really don't know how much you need Jesus until life smacks you in the mouth. When the, the, the suffocating, emotional, and mental pain of our day invades our mind when anxiety is more than an anxious moment, but a debilitating plague when suffering is the new norm of the culture. So my guess is that many of us feel the words this morning, I, I, I need thee every hour. And we're not alone following the death of Annie Hawk's husband. She shared this. I, I did not understand at first why this hymn had touched the great throbbing heart of humanity. It was not until long after, when the shadow fell over my way in the shadow of a great loss, that I understood something of the comforting power and the words which I had been permitted to give out to others in my hour of sweet serenity and peace. So friends, I'm, I'm not starting a new study to give you 10 steps on dealing with your anxiety. You can go home and Google that and find hundreds of articles, some of which are, are actually quite helpful. No, this is a study to point us to Christ, just like we do every week, that the greatest answer to anxious hearts is not another dopamine hit or self-help article. That the greatest answer to anxious hearts is a desperate need for Christ Jesus. So let me show you from the Word how and why we need Christ every hour, and how Christ does answer the anxiety of our restlessness. So we'll be in a, a very well-known passage um, on this topic of being anxious. In Matthew 6, 
We'll start in verse 25. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there. Uh, Everything else should be on the screen. Um, But let's pray and then we'll, we'll study this together. God, we come before you and confess what an understatement that we need you every hour. God, every second. For so many of us that try to follow Jesus in our own power, try to make it through the day in our own strength, no wonder we're exhausted followers of Christ. No wonder we live in this unending anxious moment. God, we, we want our hearts changed, our minds changed according to your word. So God, just please, Father, give us grace as we study uh, Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this four-week study will keep us primarily in the Gospels. So Matthew and Luke. Matthew, a part of what is called uh, the Synoptic Gospels, if you've never heard of that. The Synoptic Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic literally meaning together sight. That Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written from three different perspectives and they cover a majority of the same events. So some scholars believe, and I I would agree, that Mark's gospel was written first, and then Matthew and Luke used that gospel as a source to write their own accounts. So Matthew, also known as Levi, a tax collector that had his life turned inside out from Christ Jesus, Matthew, a hated man from all sides, gave everything up to follow Jesus, and around Uh, 50 to 60 AD, he wrote this gospel account to what is believed to be a church in Antioch of Syria, a church with members that include both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so as we enter Matthew 6 this morning, we find ourselves right in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Great crowds have followed Jesus. Great crowds have gathered in Galilee to see him heal and to hear him speak. And and as the crowd presses near to Jesus, Jesus does something incredibly countercultural to today. He goes up to a mountain. He takes a seat. He lets his disciples come to him to learn. Look, I I know the church is impressed uh, with a large crowd as if it is a sign that the Spirit is present. And sure, maybe that is the case. I mean, I would be lying to you to say that I'm not filled with joy when the sanctuary is packed. But listen closely, large crowds often come to get something from Christ, but not Christ. And large crowds often want the blessing of Jesus, but not the presence of Jesus. And large crowds often love to see their temporary situation healed and have no desire to see their eternity healed. And since Jesus knows what's stirring in that heart, he isn't blown away with record attendance. 
He knows there's a greater calling on a narrow road that few will take. And so at the beginning of Matthew 5, we see Jesus remove himself from the large crowd and begin to teach, again, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. So let's pick it up right in the middle in Matthew 6. I'll start in verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It, I mean, it's, it's not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. Neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The question, why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let's just go ahead and address what needs to be addressed. There is a kind of anxiety that can exist in our lives that needs professional medical assistance. There is a kind of anxiety that's not momentary or seasonal. There's a kind of anxiety and depression that can create something self-destructive in us. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. You can deeply love Jesus and take medication for your mental health. I was on 50 milligrams of Zoloft for a year. Um, and it was incredibly helpful. And I did that while being the lead pastor of this church. And it wasn't from a lack of faith or a lack of prayer. Some of us need medication, and that's okay. Some of us need to be on it for a little while. Some of us need to be on it for the rest of our lives. How do you know if that's you? Well, I'm your pastor, not your doctor. So I'll just say if your life is becoming self-destructive because of your anxiety and depression, you need professional help this week. Don't be too prideful in seeking help that you wait until you ruin your life and the lives of those around you. That being said, this isn't a study on medical anxiety. Because you can pop every pill they throw at you, but if you're not dealing with the things in your heart according to the Word of God, you're no different than the rest of the world. Meaning, no amount of Zoloft or Lexapro is going to produce 
the fruits of the Holy Spirit in you. We need Christ and His Word to do surgery in our heart. That's what this study is about. That's the direction that I will answer the question, why shouldn't we be so anxious? And that's the question we're going to look at every single week for these four weeks. I'm going to give us three answers today from the Word. I'll give the rest as the weeks unfold. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you point one if you're a note taker. Because our life is more than things. Our life is more than things. Look at verse 25 uh, with me. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll put on is not life more than food the body more than clothing the therefore of verse 25 is a reference back to what jesus has been discussing in verses 19 through 24 so uh, it should be on the tvs but if you have uh, a physical or digital bible you can track along this is matthew 6 starting in verse 19 we're just backing it up some verse 19 says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where Moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, and if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you as darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is not saying that food and drink and clothing are of no importance. No, the larger discussion here at the beginning is that there's the, this obsession over things, that a love for money and what money can buy or not buy, where food and drink are not just food or drink, where food and drink become our God, where clothing is not just clothing, it's where clothing becomes our God. To have material things is not wrong nor sinful. To allow material things to become the idol that your heart bows down to, well, that's where sin enters the picture. Let, let me put it this way. When things become small gods, they become big anxieties. When things, even if it's groceries or clothing, become the things that you're obsessed over, they become small gods that become big anxieties. And here's the danger of false gods. They simply never satisfy. When we make things our gods, whether it's, it's food or clothing or your house or your car or technology or sports, when we make things our gods, they never fully satisfy. And let's be real, many of us are using things to self-medicate our own anxiousness. And guess what? It's never enough. You and I have never bought something and thought, you know, I'll just never need to buy anything ever again. This got it done. How quickly the shimmer dulls, how quickly the glimmer fades. The danger of making things false gods is that they only numb the anxiousness of our heart. It never truly satisfies, but that's just not the worst part. The worst part 
is that in 2023, we have access to so many things, we might be able to numb our hearts long enough until we breathe our last. Meaning we might believe the lie that more stuff can redeem what's wrong in our hearts, and then we feed that lie until kingdom come. And the worst part is that some of us will learn on judgment day, yeah, you can't serve God and money. That things can't satisfy, that things can't ultimately redeem. It says this in Psalm 16, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out and take their names on my lips. Friends, life is more than things. The body is more than clothing. And if I can be really transparent, the, the more things that I've gained in this life have only brought more anxiety in my life. More bills, more upkeep, more things to worry about that only Christ can satisfy, only Christ can offer eternal life. David Platt he re reminds us of this. He says, we will not wish we had more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of the world. Instead, we'll wish we had given more of ourselves to the living for the day when every nation and tribe and people and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. Christian, life is more than things. And I can promise you, because I felt it in my bones and I see it in the Word, that the more I increase things in my life, the more I increase anxiety in my life, and the more I increase Christ in my life, the more I increase peace in my life. You just can't serve God and money. So Thursday night, um, the kids had, had finished homework. Uh, they had uh, eaten dinner. They had taken showers. They were watching TV. And I, I sat in my recliner and was doing some grocery shopping from my iPad. Again, not saying things are, are evil or wrong or we can't have them. Uh, technology has made my life a lot easier. So I sat in my chair and I planned out the meals for the next day and starting, started adding food in the, the Walmart app. And guys, we're not, we're not buying steak. This is, I mean, it's mostly like great value uh, brand stuff. And I'm, I'm adding things to my digital cart and I can see that balance in the top right of my screen continue to get closer and closer to what I've budgeted for groceries for the week. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. I'm, I know I'm not the only church person that feels that way. Like we spend, I mean, we spend well over $1,000 on, on just on groceries for our family every month. It's crazy. So we might look at our passage this morning and think, look, I, I get point one, but I'm not trying to be a trillionaire here. My worry is, is just trying to buy food and clothes. My anxiety isn't over my next vacation. My anxiety is just purchasing the basics to live. Which is why the passage continues past verse 25. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you point two. Because we're more valuable than the birds. Verse 
We see two illustrations in verses 26 through 30 this morning concerning the provision of the Lord. First, look to the birds. They, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Second, look to the lilies of the field. I mean, they don't toil or spin, and they're clothed with such splendor that even wealthy King Solomon couldn't match. See, Jesus is not saying that we are like birds and, and lilies. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't work hard. Proverbs 14.23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. No, if you have the ability to work and you aren't working, then don't sit around expecting God to drop money in your bank account. You're just being lazy and sluggards don't eat. Jesus is also, also isn't saying we shouldn't try to save our money. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So as we're able, we shouldn't be saving money, that the financial heartache in my life has never been because God didn't provide. It's because I wasn't saving for a rainy day. So if you're able... Work hard, and as you can, save money for the future. Two things will drastically decrease your anxiety, but that's not what Jesus is trying to communicate in this context. He's saying, look at the way the Heavenly Father provides for birds. The, the Gospel of Luke it gives a helpful, helpful account. It says this in Luke 12, starting in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more of value than many sparrows. Look how small and cheap the birds are. And the Lord's not forgotten about them. And every hair on your head or lack thereof is numbered by the Lord. Fear not. I mean, I know we get anxious about providing just the basics for ourselves and those that we love. I know how anxious we can get when you see the cost of food and bills just continue to rise. Fear not. I mean, you're, you're more valuable than birds. Work hard. Save money. I mean, but come on, y'all. We serve a God that owns it all. He's not in glory balancing his budget, trying to figure out how to pay for all his kids. He owns it all. He will take care of his children. Oh, you of little faith. That's not me. That's not me saying that. <laughs> Jesus said that to us. Are you a little faith that the anxiety that we feel over the provisions of our life are a question of faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. And I don't know what kind of childhood you had. To be honest, maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe your dad worked really hard and the finances just weren't there. 
maybe your dad uh, was around, but he was just kind of lazy and he mismanaged the family budget. But the call of the Bible is not faith in past experiences, it's faith in the Heavenly Father that He will provide all that we need. Even if it is, even if it is an empty bank account, little food to eat. That anxiety is rooted in the man or woman of little faith. And I'm preaching that one to me, Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not come to die for the sparrows. Christ came to die for you. That God loves you. And if you do, if you claim to have faith in the gospel that makes you a child of God, then you should also have faith in, the God, in God to take care of His own children. That we do not have a cosmic deadbeat dad. We have faith in the Heavenly Father that always takes care of His own. Look to the birds. Look to the lilies. And you're worth more than it all. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you three. Um, because we can't add time to our life. Quickly, an important and brief nugget of truth in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life, which, if you think about it, seems like a pretty unusual way to address someone that's anxious. When I'm anxious about tomorrow or the future, I'm not trying to add more time to my life. I just don't want to be anxious anymore. I don't want it to last any longer. I want whatever I'm worrying about in the future, I just want it to, to get it over with. I want it to happen right now. But here's the point Jesus is making. Since we can't add time to our life, it says this in Ecclesiastes verse, or chapter 3, verse 14. I perceived whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people will fear him. And so since time is one thing I can't add or get back, anxiety doesn't add to the future. It just robs the present. I mean, that's what Jesus is getting at. Don't be anxious because the only thing you're doing is just robbing yourself of today. As a parent, um, I stress over a lot of things. I do. And as a, as a pastor, I stress even more. I don't clock out and leave work drama at work. Um, for good or bad, I think about East River Park most waking hours. I think of all the things that need done. I think all the things that need planned, the, all the people that need to be called, all the people that need a visit. I think of all the counseling sessions. I think of all the criticisms people bring me. I think of every elder and deacon and staff. I, I think of all the current problems, the potential problems that I see headed our way. I think of the sermons that need to, to be preached. Like, I'm not a martyr, because I know that many of us have much to do and much to worry about. So here's what happens. I'll, I'll sit down uh, for dinner with my family, and one of my kids uh, will pray, and then we'll eat. And more times than I can count, I just 
completely zone out. And I'm planning things in my mind and I'm having fake conversations with people in my head. My anxiety is not adding one second to my life. It's robbing me of being the godly, present father and husband for today. That's why you shouldn't be so anxious. We mentally live in a hypothetical tomorrow and zone out from being Christ-following, faithful children of God today. Are you tired? It's probably a poor question to ask people at the end of a sermon. <laughs> you anxious? Feel worn out? Because if you do, I want to ask a series of questions that might hurt all of our feelings. Are you tired because you've been seeking the kingdom of God and making much of Christ Jesus in your family, in workplace, in community, in the nations? You worn out? Because you've given yourself to the ministry of the local church and the gospel that which it stands on. You anxious? Because you've been spending so much time reading God's word that you just desperately want to walk in his righteousness? Here's the practical advice from the word of God. Our problem is not that we need to add one more thing to our plate. The problem is that we're filling the wrong plate. Matthew 6, verse 31, it says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you that the greatest cause of our anxiety is a life filled with doing whatever we want and seeking temporary kingdoms. Be honest with yourself this morning. Most of your anxiety is rooted in seeking your own kingdom and it's just not working out exactly how you thought it would. Be honest. not the call of Christ. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the summary point for today. Don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 34, it says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together.